You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. Good morning, Branches. So happy to be with you here this morning. I am the youth pastor here, and I have some youth representing here. What's up, youth? So stoked. And yes, we have a big sale today, and all of the money is going towards scholarships for our winter camp. It is $300 for a student to go, so we want to help as many kids as possible be able to go, and as well as bring their friends who don't go to church to camp. Awesome opportunity, and the baked goods look awesome, so buy them anyway. Praise God. Um, So I have the privilege of sharing with you guys out of God's Word this morning. I love Branches Church. I love what we're about. One thing that we're about that I am about, us being about, um, is partnering with different parachurch organizations that bring God's kingdom into Orange County as it is in heaven. One of those being Common Ground. Common Ground is amazing ministers to the Oakview community here in Huntington Beach, and they just had a fundraiser a couple weekends ago, a surf contest fundraiser. Super special opportunity for me because I was able to compete for the first time since 2006 when I was an NSSA junior in sixth grade. I didn't make it past the first round, but... It's cool. That gave me a lot of opportunity to be able to enjoy the whole contest. I was able to see all the extra little activities like the sandcastle building contest for the kids, the boogie boarding contest, and I was able to see an awesome display of the game, Fill the Bucket. You guys ever heard of this game, Fill the Bucket? It's pretty popular with like youth groups and like youth camps. So what it is, is you get a cup and you go to some sort of water source. In this circumstance, it was the ocean. You get a scoop of the water and then you want to pass it to the person behind you and try to get as much water as possible until you fill the bucket. And it was so awesome watching little kids do it because their motor skills aren't full. (laughs) Got it. There's little to no water left. And I've come to realize that that's kind of how it is with our faith in God as we go through trying circumstances. Like we receive from the source, we have our faith in God, but as it goes through things like, I don't know, finances, and finances is right here, and then next it's like relational drama, moving it over, and then things like work stress, and then COVID times. Like over here, like, are you ready, COVID times? It's like, oh, I thought we were starting the game in 20 minutes. Just like fully out of play. And this might sound discouraging, but there's hope with this. There's hope with this that God simply requires a mustard seed-sized faith from us. If we have even that small amount of faith, God can do great works with it. And let me clarify exactly what I mean. A mustard seed sized faith in Jesus. It might sound redundant, but the faith needs to be in Jesus, not in Jesus-y things or something that you slap a Jesus bumper sticker on. I'm saying it needs to be in Jesus, not in any other thing, not in any outside circumstances. And as we have our faith in Jesus, We'll be able to remain afloat through all types of outside circumstances, like finances, relational drama, work stress, all these things. 
as we have faith in Jesus. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today, talking about faith. Is your faith in Jesus? This is a question to Christians and an invitation to those who are not. Let's go to God's word about it. This is out of Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 to 23. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. The ushers will bring one to you. Otherwise, the words will be up on the screen. This is the word of the Lord. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into water. I brought the disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And the disciples are like, we're right here. Can't just say that from Jesus. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private, because they were embarrassed, and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered over to human hands. He will be killed, and on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we dive into your text, may we understand you for us, the love you have for us, and all that you require is of mustard seeds. But that which faith we bring to you, Lord God, who produces the growth and who carries us through our lives. We love you, God. Amen. So as you are all very aware, this week it is going to be Thanksgiving on Thursday. This came very quick, and because it's a week before Thanksgiving, or rather four days, um, it's Christmas season. So tis the season to be jolly. It has begun. And some of you are a little frustrated. You're like, just let Thanksgiving have its day, and then we can move on. But then there's others that are like, Austin, I don't know what you're talking about. When I woke up on November 1st, it was time to deck the halls. It was Christmas season. And I love those people that are like diehard for Christmas and have their lights up like literally November 1st, like right off the bat. They're like, wake up, spooky season is us now. Halloween was last night. Now you're Martha May from the Grinch with like the light cannon shooting all over. You know what I'm saying? Deck in the halls of your home while the rest of the homes on the street are dark. Like you really stand out when you're the only house with Christmas lights. You're walking down the street just super bright and then dark everywhere else. It really stands out. It's this light in the darkness. It's this distinction from other houses. You might see where I'm going with this. This is what God has desired from us, from his people since the evening of the fall, that we may be the light in the darkness, that we may be distinct from other nations. And this is what God wanted to bring through Moses. Moses, who led the people out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. God and Moses, they talked on the mountaintop for 40 days. Moses had this FaceTime with the Father, receiving the Ten Commandments so they may learn how to be in relationship with God and with one another. And then he comes down the mountain, face shining like the sun, to see defective faith, to see that God's people move their faith from in God to this golden calf. 
which is no faith at all. And he got upset. And last week, we're on another mountaintop. Jesus is transfigured before his three closest disciples. His face shines like the sun. His clothes are bright as light. God speaks through a cloud. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now at the base of the mountain, Jesus sees his other disciples dropping the ball with defective faith, and he gets upset. And like Moses, Jesus wants to see his people walk in faith, walk out their faith, walk as if their faith is doing something for them, being the light in the darkness, being distinct from other nations, walking out their faith in God. So Jesus is essentially shaking his disciples awake. He gives them some harsh truth. But first, we see a man with his son facing demonic oppression, and he's distressed. The disciples, they were unable to heal the boy, so the father goes to Jesus. He approaches Jesus, kneels before him, and pleads, Lord, have mercy on my son. The father fully directs his faith toward Jesus, acknowledges his lordship, Lord, acknowledges his power, have mercy. By your mercy, my son can be set free. Lord, have mercy on my son. This dad is showing dependence on Jesus for the miracle to take place, which should serve as a cue for the disciples. They are to operate from dependence on Jesus to bring forth Jesus-like outcomes. And from them not doing so, they receive a harsh rebuke. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Once again, paralleling the story of Moses calling out the nation of Israel, supposedly God's people, supposedly those that were supposed to lead the nations to God, yet they weren't playing the part. The disciples have fallen suit. Their faith has proven defective. Jesus is like, if my own disciples don't get it at this point, where's the hope for the world? Or today, if Christians aren't looking like Jesus, where's the hope for the world? But then here in the text, we see the words of hope. Bring the boy here to me. And Jesus rebuked that demon, and in that instant, the boy was healed. And here's the key significant difference we see between the father and the disciples. While the disciples try to handle the situation on their own, by their own power, by their own authority and might, the father brought the circumstance to Jesus. And that's where we get the answer to their question. Why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we? Essentially, their faith was defective. It was misdirected. Instead of it being in Jesus and his power and his authority, it was in their own power. Their faith was misdirected, which I can see why they might be confused. Recall what happened, uh, happened seven chapters ago in Matthew 10. We read, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So I imagine the situation comes to them. They see this demon-possessed boy, and they're like, all right, we've been equipped. We are ready. The ball's been put on the tee. We're going to hit that. We got this. So they walk up to the boy, and they just go like Jack Conroy and like, Fang, just like, all right, ready? Go. Come on now. Get out of here to no avail. Or, you know, maybe if you watch New Girl with Schmidt and Cece, where he's like, get 
come on now. And she goes, Schmidt, are you white fanging me right now? But what we see is whatever tactic the disciples used, they failed. And simply put, they forgot whose authority to operate from. By their own authority, by their own might, their own power, they were unable. But by God's authority, well, Jesus explains that to us. He answers their question with telling them, you have so little faith. And Jesus isn't even saying you don't have enough faith. He's saying you don't have any faith. At least your faith isn't in me. It's not in Jesus, maybe elsewhere, maybe in yourselves, in your own abilities, but not in him. And then Jesus declares where his authority, that which is actually powerful, comes in. Truly tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So Jesus is saying, once your faith is in me, not in yourself, in your own abilities, or in any other thing, even if it's the size of a mustard seed, which was the smallest seed that you can find in Palestine, which is probably the smallest description Jesus could possibly use, you can move this mountain. Moving a mountain being a common metaphor in Jewish literature for doing that which was seemingly impossible. So it wasn't like Jesus was like, see that mountain over there, Peter? Faith, you can move it. And Peter's like, seriously? And John's like, Peter can't move that rock over there. And he's like, quiet, John. But rather, it was a common metaphor for doing that which was seemingly impossible, which is why Jesus follows it with, nothing will be impossible for you. Underlining the force behind that imagery. Like, don't you get it? Don't you understand what your small amount of faith can do? And here's where faith moves from effective to effective, church when it's in Jesus. For here's the thing about faith. It's not a measurable commodity. It's relationship. It's not a particular substance. It's not magic that you can manipulate at will. It's not essential oils you pour into a diffuser and spread a fragrance around a room. Rather, it's confidence that Jesus is who he says he is, that God can do what he calls us to do. It is taking God at his word. And what achieves results through prayer is not superior quantity of faith, but the unlimited power of God on which faith, any faith, can draw, even if it's the size of a mustard seed. For truly misdirected faith, even if it's of the largest amount, it can do nothing. But with our mustard seed size faith, we can move mountains. Praise God, the bar is set so low for us. The bar is set so because God knows humanity. He knows our hearts. He knows our tendencies. Kind of like how the bar is set so low for a really good car wash from a youth fundraiser car wash. And I want to say, we did a really good job. Awesome. It was dialed. Eight to ten, eight to, not ten. Oh, no. It felt like 12 hours, not two. So I can't even shorten that. From eight to 12 last weekend, we did a youth car wash over at the warehouse. And it was so cool. We had the pay station, which had donuts and burritos for sale. We had the lounge area. I think I was the only person who called it that, but it was like two easy ups with like a couple plastic chairs. The lounge area, guys, it was legit. And then we had the washing station, the dry station, and it was clockwork clockwork. It was great. And then come the like last hour and a half of our wash, all of our drying towels were soaking wet. 
So it wasn't really drying the car super well. It was kind of just rubbing the water from side to side. And honestly, like toward the end, and I can say this because it was only like leaders at the drying station. The youth, you guys did great. The leaders and I at the drying station, like some of the cars kind of look worse after we were done. Like my associate, Melissa, her car looked worse. Like I wanted to start directing people to like H to go. Like, yeah, if you just go down Edinger, you can get a car wash for your car wash. But even with that, people were still donating. They heard the cause they wanted to give toward our winter camp fundraiser. People giving $30, $40 for these car washes. And similarly, I imagine the father, he looks at our mustard seed-sized faith. And even with the smudge marks, he still adores us. He's like, I can work with this. I love you, my son, my daughter. I'm just glad that you're with me. I'm just glad that you're looking to me. Remain here. Remain in me and watch your mustard seed-sized faith grow. For that's the process, church. As we bring our faith to God, he produces the growth. It's an active, ongoing journey that goes over the course of a lifetime. It's an active, ongoing journey that goes over the course of a lifetime. Theologian Dallas Willard puts it like this. We grow in genuine faith in Christ as we put into practice what little faith we have. Mustard seed faith is so powerful because it grows, not because it acts like a magic potion. So may we never be stagnant, church. We never be stagnant, but continuously be growing with our little faiths. This ongoing lifetime process. And all the while, God is so patient with us, desiring first and foremost our presence, desiring us to be with him, desiring to be with his kids. And the byproduct of being with God is growing in our faith, growing in our little mustard seed-sized faith. That was the hope for the disciples in this text and the hope for us today, that as we're present with Jesus, we will grow in faith in the one who loves us, who strengthens us, enables us, who carries us. We just need to have faith that God can carry us through life, as he's the only one who can sustain us and he, as he carries us in our faith. So as many of you know, I am a reader. That is what I love to do. More than anything else in the world, I love to read. And I'm really grateful that Kara has gotten into reading as well. She claims she's always loved to read, but I really think that like a byproduct of dating me was her loving to read. And now we spend our Sabbath days, Fridays, best day of the week, spending time reading. And this past Sabbath, Friday, two days ago, I finished Return of the King, book three of Lord of the Rings. We got some Lord of the Rings fans? Holla, that's what's good. And as I'm reading the book, I am concluding once again that Sam Gamgee is the main character. So actually the main character is Frodo. He is, I'm going to give you a very short plot. I'm not going to spend much time, like 30 seconds. Um, Frodo is entrusted on this impossible journey to leave the Shire, which is like a super comfy place. Think of it like Seal Beach. Leave the Shire to go to Mordor, which is like hell. And he needs to cast away the ring of power, this ring that is like demonic, that's powerful. If you take it, it consumes you. He, this hobbit, which hobbits and Tolkien, you know, stuff. We're between two and four feet. He was a taller hobbit, so he was three and a half feet, kind of tall in his class. And so he is entrusted to go with the crew to cast the ring out. All the while, he has Sam, best friend, his companion, who would do anything for Frodo, constantly 
encouraging him, constantly carrying him. We actually see it physically play out in Return of the King. This is not a spoiler. I'm not telling you what part of the book it's at. It just happens, and you're going to love it. Come, Mr. Frodo, Sam cried. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you and it as well, referring to the ring. So up you get. Come on, Mr. Frodo, dear. Sam will give you a ride. Just tell him where to go, and he will go. Beautiful, right? Like definitive of friendship. Come on now. And just as it was for Frodo with Sam, we need to have this dependence on Jesus, faith in Jesus to carry us and our situations. Many of you have experienced this. If you haven't yet, you will. When you give your life to Jesus, not everything goes well for you. Life continues to happen. But when we have Jesus, he carries us and our situations as we live in dependence on him, as we have faith in him and allow him to carry us. And for the disciples with the healing of the demon-possessed boy and us going through our own circumstances, whatever it might be, we need to have faith in the one who carries us and our situations. The guarantee isn't that things are going to go well. That's not the guarantee. The guarantee is that God will be with us the whole way through, and God is really good. And as we trust in his sovereignty over every situation, we can be at ease. As faith, it's not mechanical. It's relational. As we're going through our circumstances, we look to God like, God, what are you up to in this circumstance? How are you working in me? How are you shaping and molding me more into your image? What are you up to? How can I look to you? Will you carry me through it? You see, faith in God is dependence on God. Faith isn't like a ticket to receive a prize, but faith is like your Frodo on Sam's back when your strength isn't enough. And it's not by our strength. It's not by our ability that brings forth heaven's outcomes. It's by the power of Jesus. Now, sometimes we'll read through the gospel accounts. And you feel kind of bad for the disciples just not getting it. This is kind of like a whole section of the disciples just not getting it. And it's kind of easy to roast them from our vantage point. But we can totally relate for how easy is it for us to faith, our hope, and things other than Jesus. Like I said earlier, even things that are like kind of like Jesus, you slap the Jesus bumper sticker on it, or even perhaps in a misunderstood idea of who Jesus is. Here's what I mean. We end our text with verses 22 to 23. Ding, ding. The Son of Man is going to be delivered to the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief, with grief. The whole like on the third day raising again fully went over their heads. They're like, what? Die? No, you can't die. You're supposed to overthrow Rome. You're supposed to flip the power structures. You're supposed to reclaim Israel. What do you mean die, Jesus? You can't do that. Perhaps their faith, even with their grief, wasn't rooted in Jesus but rather in a perception of who Jesus should be. Not in who Jesus is, but in who Jesus should be. But here's the reality. As Jesus took the boy back from the hands of the demon, so will he take away the effects of our sin on the cross. As Jesus said, bring the boy here to me, so did Jesus say, let me bear your sin for you. Here's the truth of the matter, church. John 3.16, you've heard it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him 
will not perish, but have everlasting life. What does this mean? If you believe in Jesus, not like I believe that one of you likes pho or ramen more than the other, but believe in him like you have faith in him, faith that involves action, risk. It means something to you. If you believe in him, if you have faith in him, you will not perish. What does this mean? You're going to live on into eternity. You're going to be with the king of kings, with death and sickness are no more, and have everlasting life. This isn't just talking about longevity of life. This is talking about a quality of life today. You see, in Jesus, we get eternal life today. It changes the trajectory of how we live. And this is available if we put our faith in him. Even the size of a mustard seed will do. If you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, that's all he requires of you. To step in, to taste and see that the Lord is good. He does not require much, and he has the kingdom to offer. An eternal life today. This isn't just like an eternal investment where you like put your token in and then get an investment, gains down the line. No, this changes today. The trajectory of our life today, as Jesus told his disciples in John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and life abundantly. And that abundant is today, church. We get that today in Jesus. Now, for those of you who are already following Jesus, I want to bring up his words to help expose the ways we fall short, myself included. You unbelieving and perverse generation. I've yet to see that on a coffee mug. But how are we falling into these categories? How are we misdirecting our faith in Jesus? What are we instead putting our faith in? And how can we refocus to put our faiths back in him? My hope for today is that we would. We would search our hearts. We would ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. What's my faith rooted in? And we would walk away more humble and more filled with awe at who Jesus is, the only one who truly has authority, the only one who truly has power, the one who's by his resurrection, he set us free. We need to only put our faith in him. Faith as small as a mustard seed will do. It just needs to be in him. I'm gonna welcome the worship team back up. I want us to spend some time asking the Lord to search our hearts. The awesome thing about God is he doesn't let failures go to waste for the disciples or for ourselves. We see the disciples' failure administered to them. That ministry, that prayer, it's not mechanical, it's relational. All that we do, all that any ability we have is from the Father, the Father enabling us, the Father moving through us. As Jesus is the supreme authority, never ourselves, so we must put our faith in him. And we are to desire the presence of God over all other things, bringing our whole selves to him, bringing all of our circumstances to him. Will you all stand with me as we go into this time of response? I'm gonna lead us in a time of prayer, and then we'll step into a time of worship. Father, search our hearts. Show us where our faith has been placed and help us redirect our faith toward you. I even want to just give a few moments for us to ask that question, what is my faith rooted in? Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you.
We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you speak to us. You reveal things to us, bring things to light. And I pray for those who do know you, who might not know you, that we can all be led in the direction of putting our faith in you, where there is hope, where there is actual authority and power, and you're good, God. You're good and you're for us. May those things alone be reasons to put our faith in you. And with this time of response, of worship through song, I pray that this would be a time of setting the trajectory for the rest of our week, of looking to you, Jesus, who is worthy, you, Jesus, who is holy, you who is deserving of all praise. Father, we look to you in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.